fellow kids, and welcome to episode 29 of Hello, Fellow Kids. It's a really warm day in the Seattle area, and I don't know what to do with that information. It sucks. <laughs> and for those of you in the other parts of the country, it is like 76 degrees today. Yes. So I go know. ahead. Tell us we're pussies. <laughs> we relish it. We don't care with your 90, 100-degree days and going, oh, 76 is a cool day. We think you are the pussies because you'd probably be wearing a hoodie right now and complaining about how cold it is. It's all relative anyway. It's all relative, so shut up. (laughs) And with all of our listener gone. (laughs) (laughs) All all of our listener, all one of them, (laughs) who's in Arizona right now going, screw you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have to listen to you. Anyways, (laughs) Uh, so this month we read The Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Ariyemi, and this is, this is a beefy one. It is. It took me a while, but I I got through it. It was, I think it's the longest by page count, but I don't think it was the longest feeling. I think it's probably in, like, third place for that. I think there were a couple of books that definitely dragged more than this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, definitely... I feel like maybe the first hundred's kind of the hardest to get through just because of the whole, like, we're setting up the world, we're setting up the characters. But then um, it does just really fly by. A lot of action. Yeah, it's also, it, it's like 80-something chapters, so it, it's that kind of blockbuster sort of pacing where, y- you mm. know, you, you're like, I could probably read one more chapter. How long is it? Three pages? All right, I can do one more. And then you just kind of keep doing that. <laughs> um, especially um, after I- the first, like, like she said, first hundred <laughs> pages or so. I was reading it in uh, 10 chapter chunks and then taking my notes and that worked perfect. And I wasn't like writing the same crap over and over because stuff happens. Like it goes boom, 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 boom. And uh, it kind of felt a little Fablehaven-ish for like how well thought out it seemed. And one action clearly leads to another because I feel like so much of this crap that we read, we're like, what's their motivation for doing this? Wait, why are we doing that? You know, uh-huh. we've <laughs> been confused so many times with so much of this crap that it was kind of kind of nice to be all like, oh, OK, here's someone who kind of knows what they're doing. It isn't like and then maybe they'll just do this <laughs> and maybe they'll just go over here because I want to go over here. <laughs> Because reasons, you know, there there was never anything in this book that was like, because reasons, which I appreciated. Yeah. So what, where are you dropping this book in Um, our hierarchy? I was thinking three and a half for a while until we got to the end of the book. And I was like, nah, four stars. This is four star book. I'm I'm appreciating this because, because it did what you and I always say, if you're going to be a series, you need to conclude with what you're setting out to do. Like there should be a clear conclusion, but you also leave it open for what the next thing can be. Right. And they did everything they set out to do for this book, but there's still way more to do. So it, it felt complete, but still like, okay, I want to know what happens next. Okay, fine. You caught me. I want to know what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're, we're going to have an interesting discussion because I wouldn't rate it that high. Okay. Are you thinking I, two? I'm. Th- I, it's between a two and a three for me, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna kind of surface level it right now. So we were talking about uh, some of this stuff a little bit before uh, we were recording formally. 
This book is, it's often advertised as being, like, the next Harry Potter, which we all know is a completely useless statement because they're just like, it's the next thing that is big, like, large, physically large that a child would read. And that's I just helpful. ignore, I ignore um, that every time. I go, no, it's, it's not. Anyway, yeah, yeah, what's exactly, it about? Exactly. But, um, <laughs> you know, I had seen stuff about, like, the magic and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, so sort of Harry Potter. It's not that. I, I'll tell you what it is, though. It is very much, the, the first half of it is very, very similar to the first half maybe 10 or 12 episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender, and she freely admits that she used that as inspiration. I think that if you are a fan of Avatar, I think you can get something out of that, but I also think that it might be a good idea if you haven't seen Avatar to maybe read this before watching Avatar, just so that uh, the parallels don't feel quite the same um because just w once i noticed it it's everything started to fall into place and have like these weird like one-to-one -one parallels at least like i said in the first half it definitely finds more of its own footing in the second half which bodes well for the rest of the series so i was struggling with that part but i i loved loved the world building absolute favorite part of this i thought the world yeah. that she had set up was super fascinating and i was really excited to learn more about that when it moved out of being kind of avatar parallel it did fall into a lot of the traditional kind of, like, teen epic quest that keeps having to be, like, but we need to focus on, like, romance and stuff like that. Not all of it, but there's there's definitely a little bit more of that than I was, like, into. But this is not a critique of the book itself saying that it shouldn't have done that. It just isn't really my jam. Um, but I'm not going to be, like, I'm not going to say that it's a bad book because of that. It just wasn't the best read for me personally because of that, if that makes sense. I didn't have a problem with the romance because it didn't exactly feel shoehorned in and because it was complicated. So I was like, hmm, this is actually kind of interesting. Okay, where are we going with this? If it was more like a boy who grew up in her village who always admired her from afar, I'd be all like, fuck this, hate it, don't want it. <laughs> but it was it was interesting beyond that. I feel like the Zayn Amari stuff felt forced. So I was like, uh, let's, can we not I don't feel this. Let's not do this. But um, everything else, I was just like, okay, I'm behind this. Let's go. But um, yeah. But I was so, yeah. hover I was hovering around a three for a while. But you and I have had this discussion before, where you're kind of like you start it and you're going, and you kind of do already have that star rating in your head. It depends yeah. on how well they stick the landing. Yeah. She stuck the she stuck the fucking landing. So I was like, okay. <laughs> if I finish the book and go like, I want to read the next one, then it's like, okay, that's that's a good book. Whereas, you know, if I go like, okay, that was fun. I don't care about this universe. Then, you know, like, uh, wasn't there one we dumped? I mean, we've dumped a couple. Like, we didn't, we didn't do any more Sisters Grimm, and we didn't do any more. That's um, true. We we dumped that one hard. <laughs> I forget not that was an episode sometimes. <laughs> me too. Oh my god, that did not live up to like anything. No, the, the characters all sucked. It just wasn't good. We might have liked. Nah, never mind. I was gonna say maybe we would have liked it better if we hadn't read Fable Haven, but I think nah. on its own, I think on its own merits, it would have still blew. But, um, <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. So let's, yeah, let's but this, this is a long one, so let's let's get into this. Right. Um, I guess one other thing before I get started is we did talk about pronunciation of some of these because there are a lot of uh, words, proper nouns they use, uh, different accent marks and things like that. We're going to do our best based on uh, what we know about pronunciation indicators in the English language, as well as what we've been able to find with a, we looked at a little bit of interview stuff, but unfortunately they didn't go in depth with some of that pronunciation. 
So we're going to do our best. This we have to be super mindful and respectful because a lot of this isn't just like bullshit she made up off the top of her head for a lot of this. She yeah. based it on um, Nigeria and uh, the a language Yoruba and that kind of. So there's like a real world basis for some of these names and naming conventions and stuff that we don't want to like be dicks yeah. about. Yeah. So yeah. We're gonna do our best. We apologize. Um, it's not out of it's not out of disrespect. It's out of not having the uh, the resources to get it entirely right. Right. Th- this isn't us saying bath mat <laughs> instead of the. Uh, there, there is what there is one character where I I do make fun <laughs> of the name a little bit. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll get there. We'll get to there. It's another villain. Oh, Saran Wrap. K- yeah, King Saran Wrap. <laughs> I think that's allowed because he's a jerk. <laughs> But here we go. Um, chapter one. It's time for Zaylee's graduation test. She has been training in the way of staff fighting with other young girls under the tutelage of Mama Agba. Uh, now she must duel Yemi, a skilled graduate. Zaylee is a capable fighter, but also prone to anger and a lack of restraint. Yemi taunts her and Zaylee lashes out, but the duel is cut short when another student, BC, runs in to warn them that the guards are coming. The arena is quickly transformed into a tailoring classroom as the guards enter. They demand an extra tax from Mama Agba, and Zaylee can't help protesting. One of the guards zeroes in on her, intending to take her away, until Mama Agba pays up and the guards leave. Mama Agba scolds Zaylee, then sits the girls down to tell them a story they know well. In the old days, the land of Arisha was home to ten clans, each gifted by the gods to produce magi with different abilities. They were always born with white hair and unlocked their powers when they turned 13. However, those in power began to abuse their magic, so the gods stripped them of their gifts, which caused fear and hatred of all magi over the generations. Then, 11 years ago, King Saran sanctioned what became known as the Raid, a night when all surviving magi, including Zaylee's mother, were killed. Since then, none of the diviners, the white-haired children who would normally become magi, which all of Mama Agba's students are, None of them have developed powers. Mama Agba then reminds the girls that she teaches them the way of the staff because it does not destroy like the guard's swords do. It protects and allows for escape rather than death. She dismisses the students except for Zaylee, who she gifts with her metal graduation staff. She reminds Zaylee to pick her battles. Suddenly, Zaylee's brother Zane rushes in and says there's something wrong with Baba, their father. Chapter 2. Zaylee and Zane rush back to their coastal village of Iloran, and find Baba on the verge of drowning off the coast. Ever since the raid, Baba has been prone to blackouts, so one of the two siblings is supposed to stay with them at all times. Zaylee was on duty today, but went to her graduation test instead, so she blames herself when Baba goes under the water. Zane leaps in and pulls him out, and is able to resuscitate him. Zaylee remembers a time when Zane drowned, and their mother called upon her Aiku clan powers over life and death to bring him back. Guess we know what powers Zaylee will have later. Anyway, the family returns home where Baba <laughs> explains he was trying to fish to pay the diviner tax that the guards were imposing on Mama Agba as well. If they can't pay, Zaylee will be taken to the stocks, the monarchy's slave labor force. Baba has a quality sailfish, but nobody in town is trading for coin because they all have taxes to pay. It is decided that Baba will stay with Mama Agba while Zaylee and Zane go to the rich market in Lagos to sell the fish. They load up Zaylee's giant horned riding cat, a lion air named Nyla, and head out. And stop right there, just because the first couple chapters are longer than a lot of the subsequent mm. ones. And I actually used tabs for stuff uh, this time around because I found stuff pertinent, and I'm like, this is a very big book. I'm probably not going to find it again. Right. So 
Um, I liked this where she, where, uh, Mama Eggba is talking to the girls. And, um, and it's after, it's right after, like, Zaley mouthed off to the guard. And then, you know, Mama Egg was like, why did you do that? You know, like, don't do that. And she's like, well, why the hell are you teaching us to fight? What's the point of this if we're not going to use it? So uh, she says, I teach the way of the staff to any girl who wants to learn, because in this world, there will always be men who wish you harm. But I started this training for the diviners, for all the children of the fallen magi. Though your ability to become magi has disappeared, the hatred and violence towards you remains. That's why we're here. This is why we train. And I read that part and was like, okay, going to flag that. That seems important. Yeah. Right, plus, right I got, from the, plus I got chills. Yeah. Uh, r- right from the top here, you're going to see that this is a not particularly hidden parallel to, uh, in a lot of ways, the, the black experience in America. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I think that the story itself is strongest when it's really focusing on those elements because it's, it's really brutal and honest and it sucks and it's important to realize how much it sucks. But yeah, I, I like that. Um, I really like, I like how quickly they like, they flip it back over. They're like, what? Nothing to see here. We're just tailoring. We've been making these same dresses for six months. It was, you it was, noticed. <laughs> it, it reminded me a little bit like in Matilda, you know, when the trench bowls come, come to their classroom. So they quickly cover everything with bright colors and yeah. all, their, all their stuff like, or, uh, oh, just make this look more like a prison. <laughs> yeah. Or like any cartoon ever where somebody has a secret and they like, like flip a switch and then everything flips over, looks totally innocuous. And then they go back to like their superhero stuff or whatever. Uh, there are a couple terms that I want to introduce now because I think I forgot to put them in my notes until way later. So, Zalian Zane's mom was a magi and she was killed. She was lynched with a chain made of magicite, which is a type of metal that is seriously poisonous to anybody with magic. Mm-hmm. And magicite is going to be an important term to remember. There's a diviner slur in here uh, that is important. Uh, they reported them. Maggot. Yeah, I didn't like. Every time I saw it, I went, ugh, I hate that. It's so. I mean, it's so. I mean, you're not supposed to like it, but it just. It's. It was such. She picked it well, because okay, think of like Harry Potter, where it's like, oh, mud blood. That sounds stupid. Like you don't feel the instinct of like, ew, gross. You know when you hear that. Yeah. You just think like that's really dumb, and and calling humans muggles and shit like it's it's really dumb. But this one like she that's such a good choice for a slur because you just feel the instinct of like uh I wouldn't like yeah. being called that. Well, that's it works horrible. on a, it works on a bunch of levels. Yeah, she did pick it really well because one maggots are literally disgusting like in the real mm-hmm. world. I hate yes. them. They freak me out so much. <laughs> um, it also happens to be one letter off from an actual slur, which is already Ooh. a really upsetting word. And there's another so, like, one that you... also has a double G. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's working. Yeah, she picked a good, that was a, a good one, I guess, in quotes. <laughs> yes, she picked an effective one. Yes. Oh, very effective. <laughs> yeah. Chapter three, we shift perspectives and now meet Amari, Princess of Arisha. She's having tea with many other dignitaries while her mother is constantly picking on and correcting her. We also meet her brother, Anon, the newly appointed military captain. And Samara, uh, the lighter-skinned and therefore more noble-looking daughter of Aloye Ronke, head of the northern region Zarya. Amari would rather be hanging out with Binta, her diviner chambermaid and her only friend. 
uh, Binta has been summoned to the throne room, and Amari assumes it is because they think Binta stole a bangle from Amari, which in reality was a gift that Amari gave her in order to help her family pay rent. Amari rushes to the throne room and eavesdrops on her father, King Saran, talking to Admiral... Abele? Abele. Sorry, I have typos in here as well, so that oh. does not help. <laughs> oh, did it autocorrect anything? Yes. So you're like, I know it's not yep. elbow. That's not yep. right. Yep. Yep, it's not admirable elbow. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid autocorrect. Yeah, Abele. Uh, Amari rushes into the throne room and eavesdrops on her father, King Saran, talking to Admiral Avele and Commander Kea. They have bad news to report. Two Magi artifacts that were sealed and sunk before the raid have washed ashore in the village of Wari. Diviners who come in contact with them developed powers and had to be executed. They recovered the scroll, but the sunstone is still missing. The king summons Binta and has her touch the scroll to verify its powers. When the room lights up with magic, he kills Binta immediately. Amari flees and pukes in a vase, then watches a guard take the scroll to Kea's quarters. Amari sneaks in and notices one of her father's cloaks, meaning he's visited the commander in private. She finds the scroll and takes it, then takes the cloak and some rope as well. She's got plans. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) She has step one. (laughs) Yes, she's very much underpants gnome. Step one, take the scroll. Step two. Step three, profit. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter four. Zane is still mad about uh, Zaylee leaving Baba alone, but eventually concedes that although she does need to be more responsible, it's not entirely her fault. Uh, they reach Lagos, which is mostly populated by Kosadan, yeah. uh, non-magical folk like Zane, while the Diviners are relegated to the slums and often taken to the stocks before they reach adulthood. After getting manhandled by a guard, Zaylee heads into the market, where Zane bets she can't get more than 200 silver for the sailfish. Some smart bartering with a proud, stupid noble nets her 500. She's on her way back to Zane when a girl stops her and begs for her help escaping from the pack of guards searching for her. Gosh, I wonder who she is. (laughs) Chapter 5. The girls make their way through the town in a series of close calls, which involve Zaylee using her street smarts, her staff, and a Molotov cocktail. Eventually, their luck seems to run out as a young captain, hmm, and several guards block the gate. (laughs) Suddenly, Zane and Nyla arrive, and the girls hop on the cat. They leap over the gate. And as they do, Zaylee locks eyes with the captain, and there's some sort of shocking force uh, that she feels between them. They clear the gate and run free. Okay. I think it's very effective that, like, everybody in this story is black. So we can't say, like, oh, it's because of their skin color or anything. It's like, no, it's definitely just about the magic, you know? Because I feel like stuff like this has been attempted before and just kind of was ham-fistedly done. And then they still kind of had race being the issue rather than, you know, what the author was going for. And for some reason, I can't think of an example of that right now. So I just thought that was really super effective. They still have race as a secondary issue, though, because the lighter skinned brown you are, the more noble and rich and attractive you appear in a lot of circles. Unfortunately, that's in like almost every culture. Which is a very realistic and frustrating thing. Yeah, it's in it's in like Asian countries. Um, I had a Taiwanese roommate who told me there was a Chinese saying that um, uh, a white face excuses any flaw. So if you're at cross-eyed or something, it's like, oh, but she has lighter skin, so that's pretty. She's okay, you know? Yeah. They, they do have that, but since that's kind of present in every culture anyway, I'm kind of letting that 
not kind of letting that slide a little bit. Um, right. Well, I just more mean that I'm, yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I appreciate it being there as like a thing where it's like there's we need to acknowledge that this is still a messed up thing that happens. But that is not the primary discriminating factor yes, going on here. Yes, that's what I meant. That's mostly what I meant. Yeah. But that that uh, within black culture, that is a thing, though, of, of the lighter skin being considered more attractive and but um yeah but there's i've seen like more of a movement through social media to be all like no dark skin is very beautiful and showing various pictures of models who um are darker complected you know and um yeah so so when seeing it in here i was like oh they're lightening the skin so look how beautiful she is i'm like oh shit this destructive idea is here too that sucks but I like that uh, when she's out of here, they're all like, oh, she's a beautiful girl. And no one says anything about her complexion. Yeah. You know, not a single person. It only happens when they're in a circle where there are people that worry about the lighter skin. Like they're when they're in the circle with the nobles talking about it, that's the only time it re- they really talk about it. And then when they're around like normal people, no one mentions it because I guess because they're all, they all rich. Are like it doesn't matter. They're all rich. So they need to find something else. To yeah. Have. Yeah. To jockey <laughs> position for. <I> yeah. <laughs> oh, wait. Have we gotten to... Yeah, we, the... we did chapter four. There's the part where Zane's still giving her crap for leaving the dad alone. She, uh, okay, this is the part. I bite my tongue. There's no point in arguing. Strong and handsome Kasaiden that he is, Zane doesn't understand why I need Mama Agba's training. Boys in Illoran try to be his friend. Girls try to steal his heart. Even the guards flock his way, singing praises of his Agbon skills. He doesn't understand what it's like to be me, to walk around in a diviner's skin, to jump every time a guard appears, never knowing how a confrontation will end. And I was just like, tab that. That was something that was like, yeah, we need that. That was a very important thing to point out. And I hope everyone who reads this, it sinks in and they're not just like, oh, what a good fantasy story and like tosses it aside, you know? Uh. Right. Yeah. Like I said, the the parts where it's at its best are when it's making because it's not super preachy about it, it, it but it is able to draw some really yeah. important parallels to the ideas of privilege and stuff that are occurring right now. Super yeah. right now. <laughs> well, it's just, there's like right wing people who grew up loving Rage Against the Machine who are, uh, now are like, oh, what? They're all political. And you're like, they've been political from the start, you idiot. What are you talking about? So that's kind of what I was reading. That. I'm like, God, I hope this is sinking in for some people who are reading this. And I'm just picturing someone going like, well, why aren't there any white people? That's racist. You know, so I was just thinking of idiots <laughs> while I read this. Chapter six. Uh, Inan returns home uh, where his mom drags him to his father, intending to use today as proof that a prince should not be in a dangerous position like captain. King Saran sends her away, then tells Anon to call off his men and investigate this fugitive alone, because it's his sister, Amari. Chapter 7. Amari reveals her identity to Zaley and Zane, who are less excited about kidnapping the princess of the kingdom that killed their mother. Amari explains about the scroll, and when Zaley touches it, she feels something awaken in her. Could it be Ash, the power that makes magic work? She can't believe it. Determining that they're in danger pretty much no matter what, they continue traveling together. Chapter 8, we learn more about uh, uh, Saran's hatred of Magi. They apparently killed several of his family before his rise to power, and once he discovered a way to destroy their link to the gods, he had to kill all the Magi to make sure they wouldn't try to reclaim their power. He tasks Inan and Admiral Kea with visiting Eloran to find Amari. 
then to burn the village to the ground. Chapter 9. In Aloran, Zaylee and Amari visit Mama Agba and show her the scroll. Mama Agba touches the scroll and her seer magic reawakens. Surprise! She was a secret magi the whole time! She has a vision of Amari, Zaylee, and Zane making a pilgrimage to uh, Shandomble, the home of the Centaros, protectors of magic. They will take the scroll, which is a ritual for connecting to the gods, and bring magic back to the entire world. They then realize the town is being attacked. Zaylee goes to find her friends, but Amari has to pull her away from a burning house, and the entire sector of the village collapses into the sea. Chapter 10, the main cast floats away to safety some distance away, where Baba and Mama Agba encourage Zaylee, Zane, Amari, and Nyla to go on their quest. You know how there's the, the whole hero's journey, and most stories go through those same steps, and some of them are, are a little bit more literal than others and stuff like that? Like... <laughs> Burning their hometown and having it partially fall into the ocean is, like, the most clear, like, this is the call to action moment I've ever seen. I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. It's just like the, well, of course, what are you going to do? Stay home? Exactly. There's no turning back. <laughs> you can only go forward now. Yeah, the kind of the scouring of the Shire, but not really. And, and I was like, but they didn't find shit yet. Why are they burning it already? What the hell? I was like, I thought it was just going to be the two of them. And then they could have subtly, you know, if it just been the two yeah. of them. Yeah, I don't think I put it in my uh, synopsis, but they explained that it it was basically a, a trigger-happy guard started the fire a bit early. Which, gosh, a trigger-happy law enforcement officer. Yeah, that's that's a big trend through a lot of this book. Ugh, I can't even laugh about it. I'm just so annoyed. Yeah, I was just like, boy, this feels real true to life. I like that where he's like, oh, there's a big blood stain on the floor. I wonder what happened. And then it's like, Admiral Kea. It's like, oh, she's an admiral now. Hmm, no sign of Abele. I wonder what <laughs> happened. <laughs> where it's not like expressly stated, but you can just go like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. I see what happened. I can do the math. <laughs> I can do the math. He got his girlfriend promoted. Got it. Chapter 11. Yeah. Inan surveys the destruction of Aloran, disappointed with how unnecessary it is. He sees a turquoise wisp, and an image of Zaylee pops into his head. He has the same stinging feeling as when he made eye contact with her during the escape and realizes that her magic has awakened and that she has somehow infected him with magic as well. He tries to hide his disgust and begins interrogating the survivors, even though his magical connection to Zaylee has shown him the way. Um, one other thing before I get to the next chapter... Uh, and this does become important, um, but for now you just need to know that Inan has a Senate chess piece that he that he got from his father um, that he uses as like a little w worry totem um, mm -hmm. when he's like thinking and stuff. Um, and he like he'll grab it and and like squeeze it until it like uh, like pricks his hand. Just keep that in mind for later. Yeah. Chapter twelve. Zaylee's group stops for the night. In her dream, Zaylee is visited by Inan, who accuses her of connecting them with magic. However, Zaylee notices a white streak in his hair and determines he has somehow had magic awakened in him from touching the scroll, despite being a Kosadan. He is a connector. Uh, that is his magic family. Uh, she tries to make a deal to keep his secret in exchange for leaving her alone, but he is too furious to accept, and she knows he will follow them until he kills her. Chapter 13. The group approaches the town of Sokoto and decide to sell Amari's dress for supplies. When she takes it off, they notice a huge scar on her back from when her father made her and Inan spar with real weapons. 
Zaylee has some things to say about Anon, but Amari insists he's a good man led astray. They find a merchant willing to take the dress, but they need more supplies than they can get with just how much the dress would get them. Amari offers her headdress, her last reminder of Binta, and he gives them plenty of gold and supplies to get them set up for a good while. Chapter 14. Anon struggles to keep his composure. Chapter 15. Zaylee's group climbs up to where Shan Domble used to be, but it is now ruins and skeletons. Zaylee feels her magic amplified by being there, however. She finds a sculpture that reacts to her magic and opens a hidden staircase. They descend. It triggers a trap that releases poisonous gas, and they are knocked out. All right. I wanted to highlight this part. Back in the village, he's trying to figure out where, or you know, he's interrogating people to find out what's going on. He's talking to Yemi. I'll tell you everything you want to know, but only if you leave us alone. I nod, a simple concession. Duty or not, I don't want to see more bodies. I can't bear to hear more screams. I reach down and untie the rope binding her wrists. She flinches at my touch. Give us the information we need, and I promise your people will be safe. Safe? Yemi meets my eyes with a hatred that impels me like a sword. Though her mouth never opens, her voice rings in my skull. Safe ended a long time ago. So you get to see a bit of his naivete, I guess. Yeah, it's like safe after you burn our village, you dipshit. Are you kidding right, me? Right, because <laughs> yeah, it, you know, with somebody in a position of power and privilege, can't it, it's harder for them to see how small the box is getting for other people, and because the threshold for like at least we haven't X keeps getting more and more refined. Because mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it would start with like hey, at least we haven't uh, crossed into your borders. And then it's like, well, at least we haven't torn down your city. And then it's like, at least we haven't burned your home. And then it's like, at least we haven't killed you. And it's like, it should have stopped a long time ago, way back at that first point. And you just kept making the box smaller. Mm -hmm. And so Inan comes along and is he's being awakened to just how far it's come. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and another part I wanted to highlight is mm-hmm. where they're discussing the dress, where, she, where they like talk about it, and she and she's like, uh, Amari's kind of hesitant, and she's like, "But what will I wear? Your cloak." I point to the dingy brown cloth. We'll trade the dress for some food and get new clothes on the way. Amari steps back and looks at the ground. You were willing to evade your father's guards to save the scroll, but you won't take off your stupid dress. I didn't risk everything because of the scroll. Amari's voice cracks. For a moment, her eyes glimmer with a thread of tears. My father killed you, my best friend. Your best friend or your slave. Zale, Saint warns. What? I turn to him. Do your best friends press your clothes and make your food without pay? Amari's ears redden. Binta was paid. A mighty wage, I'm sure. I am trying to help you. Amari clenches the skirt of her dress. I've given up everything to help you people. You people, I fume. And I was, I wrote down, um, you people gets everyone's backs up <laughs> in this world too. Like she said, when I got to that, when I read that, you people, I went, ooh, no, don't say that, don't say you people. Oh shit, don't yeah, say I'm, that. I'm pretty sure I highlighted that as well because <laughs> there are the number of situations where you can use that phrase and have it not go over super poorly. I'm pretty sure is zero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, you you people. I was just like, oh Christ, don't say that, don't say that. Because uh, Amari, I guess she's the closest to us because she's the one with privilege. So kind of through her, we're kind of supposed to see ourselves, I think. So I'm just like, no, don't say that. Don't say that. Ah, and I like, put my head in my hands. And I'm like, please, you need to be better than this. And she is. But, I mean, it takes her a bit. You know, obviously, Am- Amari being in a place of privilege, she's not, you know, it. it's going to take more than a few pages to adjust. It would be really, it would be 
it would be kind of disrespectful to uh, just be like, you know, in three pages, she becomes this completely perfect ally where she knows exactly what to say and what to do all of the time, because that is a learning process for people. And it'd be kind of disingenuous to be like, it's as easy as this. And it's like, a lot of those things are easy, but some of them you don't even, you haven't even had a chance to really think about yet. That's um, part of what contributed to the four star score was yeah. Omari's character development. I thought was beautifully done. Like it didn't yeah. seem like super forced. Like it felt natural. Like, the, yeah. like I'd say most of this didn't feel forced. And I read a lot of, I've or not currently read, but I've read a lot of teen fantasy stuff. So I'm just like, oh, God, you're just relying on tropes. This is just tropes on top of tropes on top of tropes, you know. But um, yeah. there's tropes in this because it's impossible to not have a story without tropes. And tropes exist because they work in the, in the you know, they, they work for stories. That's just the best. I didn't get that sense through this that it was like using tropes as a crutch. I don't know. I just felt it was really well done. And uh, I liked her progression. And I was I was very proud of her by the end of the story, so I liked her. And I started out thinking, boy, this is rough. So right about here, right at the end of this section that we just talked about, is where where it fell into place. How much this was paralleling Avatar all the way through. This is is very familiar to the first few episodes, and thankfully, this is the part where it starts really using that more as not as a uh, blueprint, but a springboard. Right. Um, yeah. Because I was, I was super concerned for the first little while. Because if it had kept going that way, it would have been even more uncomfortable to just be like, I was really excited to have a, a teen fantasy rooted in Nigerian folklore and, and mythology and stuff like that. And it turned out to just be a complete one-to-one of Avatar. Well, maybe it starts out like that, that way would have... because it makes it kind of more accessible. Like, here, here's a story you're familiar with. Okay, right. now we're going to, now I'm not going to hold your hand through Avatar anymore. We're going to go over here. So I don't know how much of it was deliberate, but yeah, I think it's wise to kind of start things with where, especially if you're going to go somewhere that's different from what most of uh, most other stuff that it's like, okay, we'll start, we'll, we'll start familiar because if we start too different, this might put off too many people. And, you know, Avatar is a very beloved series. Everyone I've known who has ever, I've never met someone who watched it went, yeah, that sucked. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's a tried and true formula, I guess. But uh, I guess you could argue that a lot of the I read a couple articles of comparing the two. So I was like, OK, I just read this book and liked it. So do I actually like Avatar The Last Airbender? Let me take a look at this. So I was curious about it. And they they said basically what you said, that it starts out the same. But then Zaley is not like the chosen one who's going to bring everybody. To, you know, it's a little bit different. Like she's yeah. important, but she isn't Aang. Well, uh, it's also like seeing one book that copies the basic structure of early Avatar is not nearly as big a sin as seeing, yes, it looks like something I've seen before, but it at least looks like something that I've only seen once before as to looking like something that I've seen a dozen times before. Like, that's a, that would be a far bigger offense and that would be a lot less, cause I've never, I've never really, I've never read an, like what Avatar would look like in a book form. They have comics, but that's not the same as prose. So it's a, 
it is definitely a different starting point, and even if it does have some familiar beats, I would rather see familiar beats from a different original source as opposed to the same source that a lot of them tend to stick Beauty and the Beast, um, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. They, there's been a few series about that, but mostly Beauty and the Beast is the most egregious one. Yeah, or, uh, I mean, whatever whatever you admit, I, I guess would it basically be, like, Buffy for, like, all of the stuff that's, like, all the Demon Hunter-style teen fantasy, like the Cassandra Clare sort of thing? Like, I don't know where that would have originated from, or if that would be more... We'd have to look more into that, but I get... I, I don't want to, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Fair, fair. We can we can gripe if we want to. We don't need to footnote our gripes, like, this is based on this. It's just like, if we feel like there's too much of something, there probably is, because we haven't read everything... But pretty much every, like, young adult, not every, like, maybe one out of three is just like this. And this retelling of Beauty and the Beast, I'm like, oh, my God, can you pick another fairy tale? There's so many of them. Can you stop? Yeah. Just give it a rest for a while. But um, I hope fairy tales are starting to die out. And I liked fairy tales. It's just, yeah, they need a break. They need a break. So I'm glad that this came along with something different. I'm like, thank you. It isn't all the same variation of the same pretty white person, <coughs> Sarah J. Mass. So. Hey, they're pretty white elves, aren't they? I haven't read any of her. Fairy. Some of them are like part okay. fairy, but they're all okay. pretty and snarky in the exact same way. And at least in this story, you can tell the characters apart. Like I never was like, oh, wait, wait, who's that again? Because everyone was so distinctive. <laughs> it, they're all distinctive in the sense that everybody is a huge bundle of anxiety, but at least they have different types of anxiety. Uh, they all respond to it differently. Everybody, yeah, everybody is so stressed out this whole book, obviously for good reason, yeah. but it's like, it is an exercise in pure stress for so much of it. <laughs> stress and panic. So at the end of this chapter, I made a note that said, a quick Googling reveals Avatar to be a uh, primary influence on this book. And then the very next page, I wrote, whoever compared this to Harry Potter has never read Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't get how it would be, how it's similar. I don't either. I mean, they're not even at a school. There's a trio of characters, and there's also a <laughs> bad person? I don't know, like... A lot of books have trios of characters and a bad person. It doesn't mean they're all the Yeah, same. I know, exactly. <laughs> exactly, that's my point. Is like, that's the laziest comparison. Just like, oh, young people will like this? It's like Harry Potter. You're like, What? They also say that Fatal Haven is the next Harry Potter or something. Bullshit, it's its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, back to it. Chapter 16. So they, they get knocked out. Do, do you want to talk about the uh, when they go up to the ruins at all? Did you have anything that you wanted to... No. Okay. I will say that, like, it definitely... It threw me for a loop a little bit because I assumed that that would be, like, the main plot of the story. And then it happens by, like, page 150. And I was like, oh, crap, what are we doing next? That's kind of what I liked. I was like, okay, so we got here. I thought that'd be most of the book, but are yeah. we actually going to get to the ritual in this book? Cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it won't feel like this incomplete, boring story if we actually... Yeah, where it just like telegraphs, like, okay, so you know that that goal is the end of book one, and that goal over there is the end of book two, and that goal is the end of book yeah. three. Because sometimes it does that, and you're like, I feel like I've read the whole trilogy now. <laughs> I just assume that those things happen. <laughs> yeah, so, so that was cool. Uh, all right, chapter 16. Inan's crew reaches Sokoto and interrogate the merchant that Zaley and Amari bought surprise, supplies from, then Kea kills him. 
Chapter 17, Zaylee's group awakens, held captive by a Centauro, one of the people who used to live in Chindomble. Zaylee explains why they're here, and the Centauro releases them. Amari realizes her father was the one who had this temple destroyed. Chapter 18, the Centauro, we can, explains the sitch. As everyone knows, the Sky Mother created everything, including humans and the Ten Gods. Each god connected to some humans and granted them powers. These became the Magi. Meanwhile, the Centauro were asked with keeping the Magi connected to the Sky Mother through a ritual involving the scroll, the sunstone, and a bone dagger. However, the raid prevented the ritual from occurring, thus ending magic. The only way to restore it is to perform the ru- is to perform the ritual at the Centennial Solstice next month, when a secret island appears. Uh, Lacan uses a special blood magic ritual to tether Zaylee to the Sky Mother and restore just her magic, which opens the opportunity for her to become the next uh, Mamalawo, or Head Centaro, and perform the ritual. However, they still need to get the Sunstone. Zaylee takes the night off to rest her very magic, very tired body, but is awakened by Lacan shouting that someone is coming after them. Chapter 19. It's Inan! <laughs> Chapter 20. Zaylee's group flees with Inan's gang in pursuit. It's like a car chase, but on giant cats. They reach a rickety bridge and have to take it single file. Lacan is killed while buying them time, and as he dies, his spirit moves through Zaylee and tells her to survive at all costs. Chapter 21, Inan decides that using his own magic may be worth it if it means he can kill Zaylee. Inan act, like, used his magic in a way that he doesn't really understand in order to kill Lacan. His connector powers, they basically allow him to tether to different individuals, and he basically froze and shut down Lacan's body, and it creates these little, like, uh, kind of bluish crystals. Yeah. They're like soul crystals or something when he dies. Okay, so I wanted to point out, like, I tagged this, and then I was like, ooh, that was smart of me to tag this, because it kind of <laughs> comes around later, where it's right after uh, the merchant, like, uh, Anon hesitates killing the merchant, and he goes running, and Kaya throws her knife, and the guy falls down dead. And she goes and gets her knife back, and she's like, You mustn't tolerate those who get in your way, Anon. Kaya steps over the corpse, wiping her blade clean, especially those who know too much. Foreshadowing. I know, I was, I, I didn't know that at the time, though. I was like, that seems important, because some of these things I'd like, yeah. have a little like, ding, I'm like, hmm, we'll see about that. Because I thought Kaya sucked, so I'm like, okay, let's, let's find <laughs> out what happens. Oh god, yeah, and when they, uh, when Lacan dies, I was, it felt like, did you ever see the movie Children of Men? No. Okay. Basically, at that time, the biggest star in that movie, uh, Clive Owen. Yeah, Clive Owen was in it, but he wasn't super well known yet. So really, the biggest star in that movie is uh, Julianne Moore. And uh-huh. we're like half an hour into it, and her character gets fucking killed. And then you're all kind of sitting like, oh, wait, no, that's what? <laughs> so when he got killed, it was just like... No, I felt like he was really important. They probably really needed him. This is so bad. Oh, God, what are they going to do? So, like, I had, a, like, the huge panic room, like, shit, they're not going to know what to do. I mean, they did know, but I think things would have been easier if he'd survived. So I guess it was smart to kill him off, because, like, oh, we have, like, the super priest. He's going to save everybody. And you're like, nope, not so much. <laughs> He's a super priest. Super, super priest. Super priest, yeah. <laughs> That's basically what they are, right? Um, I, 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 yeah. And I was gonna say during that ritual where she gets her magic pulled out to everyone else, it just looks like he's drowning her in a bathtub. So that must yeah. have took a lot for them to not to like run over, like, what are you doing? 
What's the plan? Well, I'm gonna drown her. I'm gonna drown her in a bathtub. Uh, so and I need you to be cool about that, okay? Can you do that, dude? Oh, un- unrelated to anything. Every time I-, I pictured Zane, I pictured John Boyega. I feel like he should play him in the movie. He's the guy f- from the new Star yeah. Wars, right? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him in anything. He just always looks like friendly and likable, which okay. is what Zane is. And plus, he's like okay. built strong, so I- he could easily play him. And I remember they asked Tomi Adiemi who she'd want to play in the movie. And she's like, you know, I try not to think about it too much because she said she went into Black Panther, really stoked to see Lupita Nyong'o, and then was just blown away by all the actors she hadn't heard of before. So she's just like, how about just yeah. unknowns? Let's just find out. Like, who's yeah. that being super cool? Because she's like, I go in there excited to see Lupita, and then there's Letitia Wright, who's super awesome. And like yeah. every, and I was just like, that is such a good point. Okay, yeah. But I just, I just pictured him every time, and, I, and then like the further we got into the book, I was just like, he would be so good in this. Please cast him. I don't even know where we're at with the move. They're supposed to make a movie. Well, I'm sure it's probably on hold right now. Along with everything. <laughs> Actually, they're filming uh, the Jurassic World sequel right now. Uh, they don't have to. It's okay. I know. I was just like, this isn't... Of fresh. all the movies to keep going <laughs> forward on... You- <laughs> Someone pointed out, like, okay, why are you doing this when this is a whole movie about people ignoring scientists in the sake of... <laughs> <laughs> So why are you completely ignoring the film's main premise? To I guess that just goes to show how far these stupid films have gone from where the first ones set out to do. Yeah. Until I didn't like Jurassic World, I did not. I did not care for Jurassic World, and I didn't see the sequel, even though it looked like yeah. Home Alone meets Jurassic Yeah, Park. well, here's the thing, is, like, I I like the first, the, the first Jurassic Park, and then the second one's, meh, and the third one's dumb. And then Jurassic World was better than those, but still not great. But when I saw the trailers for the fifth one, I was like, this might be so dumb that it's looped back around to being good. But I don't think that that happened. I don't think it quite did that loop. I really want, I want the series to take that loop. But I, I think there's too much money involved for them to do that. Which I like the third one. Uh, to be fair, I think I only saw the third one once uh, when I was like... 12. I've heard most people say the third one's the worst one, and people are entitled to their opinions, and I'm not going to say they're wrong, but I liked the third one. <laughs> Enough about talking about Jurassic Park. We should talk about this book. Chapter 22! Ow! Zaley's group arrives in the desert town of Ibeji, where they encounter large numbers of diviners in the stocks. Zeli sneaks some water, which is scarce and expensive, to the... Uh, the slaves, and discovers that they are sent here to compete in a battle arena. They do so in hopes of winning their freedom, but they also compete for the relic of Babaluaye, the god of health and disease. The relic just so happens to take the form of a glowing stone. Hmm. Chapter 23. Zaley and the others watch an arena battle. The arena is filled with water, and ships sail in, each with a different group of contestants. They fight to the death, and none survive. Zaley notes two things. The first is that there are people dying of dehydration in the streets while these naval battles take place for sport. And the second is that the prize is definitely for Shirzi's the Sunstone. I thought that this arena battle with, like, the water flooding in, and then just boats appearing to do but ba- i that was the coolest thing for me. I thought that was so inventive I was and super interesting. I was not expecting it. 
not expecting right, because I was like, oh, animals. okay, gladiator or thing, Patrick. whatever. And then I was like, holy crap! Yes! I was picturing... Naval warfare! <laughs> I was fucking picturing lions ripping people apart. That's what I thought it was going to be. And then, like, the water comes and I went, what? <laughs> this is cool but horrible. I, I called this section the are you not entertained section. <laughs> and it's like, okay, no winners. And I thought... Okay, so, like, the boats and shit is cool, but at the same time, no one's been winning this stuff, like, forever. Like, so all the gold that people have been betting and shit just kind of keeps accumulating. And it's like, aren't people going to get pissed off? And don't they want... You want someone to root for. You want your Maximus. Who? Oh, Gladiator. Gladiator. I I fell asleep during Gladiator. I've never even seen it, but I at least know... There was too much dirt. I at least know that there's a guy named Maximus who says, are you not entertained? So... Wait, was his name Maximus? It was Russell Crowe. Yeah, right? Russell Crowe. Was he Maximus or was the or was the like the Caesar dude Maximus? Oh shit, I don't know. The Caesar dude was probably Caesar, wasn't it? Caesar's the title. That wouldn't necessarily be his name. Uh, but yes, that was really inventive and super cool. Uh, so I do I do want to note something here uh, that is a uh, a choice that I notice a few times through the book, and I think that it does the story a disservice, which is that. So the chapters switch between uh, three perspectives, Zaley, Amari, and Inan. And uh, Ariyami has a somewhat of a tendency to shift perspectives in a way that kind of takes away from some of the action. Um, there will be certain situations where there will be like like a big action scene and then it cuts away to somebody who's less involved with the action. Or in this case, it, it has... Uh, not specifically in these two chapters, but er, er, in some of these sections when, uh, now that Zaylee is, like, coming into her own with her magic and stuff, moving away from her perspective kind of robs us of the opportunity to feel what that's like for her to have that strength growing in her. And I would have liked to see more of that. Um, and I feel like she, there were a couple opportunities where she could do that or where she could have done a more immediate feeling in some of the action sequences, but she chose not to, and I thought that that made some of those scenes a little bit lesser for doing that. I, I don't uh, agree, but I don't think you're wrong. I mean, that's just, that was your experience reading the book. Sometimes I felt like that action got cut up with a non's bullcrap, and it was more like, okay, I was getting kind of tense. I kind of want to, I kind of <laughs> want to be out of that arena for a little bit. Because I was yeah. like, can we fucking leave Thunderdome for a while? Like, okay. <laughs> this is awful. So then you get like a new kind of tension when you're just like, ooh, how far behind them is he at this point? You know? Yeah. So I don't know. So um, I, I'm, I guess I'm more referring to situations where uh, not not necessarily pulling entirely away from the scene, but like if um, Zaylee and Amari are in the same scene together and then it switches to Amari's perspective of kind of the scene as a whole, where we could have stayed in Zaylee's very intimate experience of it, I would have preferred to stay there instead of being more of an observer of the scene. Well, sometimes um, she's so in it, it's just like, I'm sure it's just kind of chaos where she is, but Amari's slightly apart, so she's like, okay, I'm looking at it and this is what's happening. So you're just like, okay, thank you. Because otherwise, you're just like, wow, she's really, like, aware of everything that's happening. I'd be in a panic thinking, Aah! like, the whole time, like, like <laughs> she's in the water. Like, holy shit. Like, we'll get yeah. to that. But, um, yeah, I uh, think it's effective storytelling. It's a good – I had a good time. As good as you can have, I guess, considering they're fighting to the de- death. See, the, the, this is actually something that I noted in here, and I, I'm curious as to – 
Because you seem like you had a, a, I mean, you definitely had a positive review of the book. I'm curious as to how positive your reading experience is, because this book was almost constant misery and yeah, tension. It was hard. It and, was very hard. But I felt like I was rewarded later for my for getting through it. I guess. Yeah. But it was rough. Um, I am a very stressed out reader, so if my characters are are freaking the fuck out, so am I. And I feel kind of sick. Yeah. So, um, yeah, everything with the arena, I was like, can we go? Can we go? And every, anytime they kind of had like a, lo- a slow point where I think you and I have discussed before, we like the slow points because you get the character moments and you kind of get a better grasp of who they are rather than just seeing them in action all the time. But even during those moments, I'm kind of like, OK, let's get moving. You only have so long to get to this island place. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so, yeah, I was very stressed reading this. But again, the. This would have been three stars, but I liked the ending, so... Are there any specific spots that you're going to point to that made it feel more three-starry than staying in the four-star, or is it just the... Okay, if it kept being unrelenting misery without any bright spots, I can't handle that shit. Not for a second. But there were bright spots that kept me from going like, I kind of want to just lay down in traffic rather than read this. (laughs) (laughs) There have been some books where it's just like, I can't handle it. Like, I nearly quit the podcast over tunnels for how much I couldn't stand it and how miserable everything was. And there's no one to root for when, like, even a non who kind of sucks, you're still kind of hoping he'll, like, pull his head out of his ass, which he partially yeah. does, but then thrusts it back in as hard as he can. So it's like, OK, sir, <laughs> that, that's your choice. But um it walked the line just right for me. Like everybody's line's going to be different. So maybe some people are going to read this and go, Nope, I can't. I'm out. And you got to take care of yourself. And I totally understand, but I, it just, it worked for me. But for the first 200 or so pages, I was kind of like, Oh, this is hard. <laughs> this is difficult. Yeah. I can laugh about it now, but at the time I was just all like, Oh God, I got to pick up this book again. Yeah. Chapter 24. Inan gives in to his own magic in order to be able to end magic. This is a another one of my things is I do feel like there are a few chapters that basically the same thing happens, especially with Anon because he just yeah. has the same cycle of. He's like, I like, feel bad. I need to kill her. KS says Anon. Yeah. That's the whole chapter. <laughs> yeah, and a lot, a lot. So yeah, so it's especially bad with him. A lot of his chapters are really short, yeah. where nothing really happens besides him reiterating those kind of feelings. And I also feel like. A lot of chapters start with a character ruminating over their feelings of the same couple things. It's like, I don't know. It felt like it, it was doing the thing where it was like like two steps forward, one step back, and like the progression could have been a little bit more streamlined with some of that. Like, I, there are definitely some points where like you need to you need to have the character struggle with it and take a take a few tries to really like. Otherwise, it feels too but easy. I, so they're kind it of, does, but I I but did I did does, feel like that there yeah, were some. But th- some parts of it where it wasn't even really a struggle so much as it was just like a, she wanted a, she was trying to figure out how to start the chapter. So she was like, maybe we'll have them ruminate over something. And I felt like or, that was... this is our first book. So maybe it's more like, okay, we kind of really need to be, okay, now we're in his head. This is what his head looks like, you know? So maybe, um, future books, she'll kind of have more of a lid on that or kind of have like, yeah. A- and I mean, this this is the sort of this is the sort of challenge that comes with reviewing stuff in general is like to what degree do you review something just flatly based on 
how it stands against every other book that you've read versus how much of your review is based on the context of, you know, who wrote it, where it is in their career, things like that. And I think that if you, you know, especially me who doesn't think it's a bad book, but didn't have a particularly brilliant experience with it, I think that my opinion of it really depends on which of those two approaches I'm going for. Because if I'm talking about, like, in in the grand scheme of all the books I've read, I wouldn't put this super high. But if you're talking about, like, first novels by an author, this is, I mean, this is very, very strong for a first novel. I don't think that it's by any means bad. I just think that the, my personal reading experience for it wasn't as good as I've you know, read other stuff. But that, again, that's comparing it often to established authors versus their first. And so it's hard to get all of that into the same conversation. I was I was looking at this is her first book. I haven't read anything like this before. And also kind of basing it on other stuff we've read for this podcast. I wasn't really thinking in like context of like every book I've ever read. Plus, I think I told you that my final decision, it really is just emotionally based. Yeah. So um, I was around a three, like you. I was around three. Yeah. Again, that ending was yeah. just perfect. If it had been even a little bit different or if it had been, you know, I would have been like, eh. Because, yeah. like, towards the end, I'm like, eh, three and a half. We're at three and a half. Yeah, this is this yeah. is pretty good. Yeah. Until, like, I got I mean, to the, the point of, like, I would want to keep reading this series. The other thing that I, I do want to touch on is this is one of not that many teen novels written by a black author about all black characters. And so I think that I think that some people have the, you know, there's kind of an expectation to that. And so seeing things like later on, we have a few scenes of kind of uh, slightly more nuanced, but still within the realm of kind of typical teen romance uh, moments. Uh, and it's kind of like a, you know, some people would have the opinion of like, well, it this is not a black author should be doing more for it. It's like, no, it, it, black readers are allowed to have cheesy romance moments with characters that look like them as well. That, that has every yeah. right to exist in that realm. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be the one black teen book that does everything. You know, it can, it can be everything that one of your five trillion white novels is. And that doesn't make it any worse than those. It's allowed to make those same decisions and just represent different parts of the reader base that like, I'm not going to say that it's like, you know, it's not doing enough for black teen literature because no one book no. have that. Yeah, no one needs that on their That's shoulders. Ridiculous. That's so not fair. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like that is so incredibly unfair as to expect. But there's probably people book. who are going to be thinking that way too. Yeah. That's why I was kind of hesitant about you comparing it too much to Avatar: the Last Airbender. Where I'm like, I, I was just like, well, how far is that comparison going to go? How much are you going to be punishing this book for that? And so far, right. you haven't. I think it's just been perfect. Good job. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like you know, and we need we need to have those sorts of books by different authors with different characters in every single realm of it, so that we can help create a space where those great books are. You know, they're in a place where they can actually shine. And we we just need to have diversity on every single level of things. We don't need it. We can't just be like. We can only have, you know, X number of black books and they have to be d- talking about the yeah, black like, experience. Yeah, like everyone has to read, like, 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 oh, you all have to read The Hate You Give. And it's like, but that's so stressful and right. you know, it's that's like, a little too real. Can't it just be magical? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, here it is. Here's the magical book. Like, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. 
Chapter 25. Zaley enters herself into the arena for the following day's match. Using one of Lakan's scrolls, she formulates a plan. She is going to channel the restless souls haunting the arena into her own army. After some frustrating practice, she makes progress by summoning Minoli, one of the slave girls she brought water to. Minoli passed away, and so she is able to... Uh, what? Are, crap, what are they called? Animations. Um, yeah, I was like, I wrote it down somewhere. So what she's able to do is create these animations uh, using using like different elements that are around her, and she kind of infuses that element with a, a soul of the deceased to create a, a sort of specter that can uh, that can uh, she has a control over. Chapter twenty six. Inan has another vision of Zaley, who lets slip that she is in Ibeji. When Inan awakes, uh, Kea is watching him and has discovered his secret. She tries to run and tell the soldiers, but he freezes her with his magic and accidentally... She knew too much. (laughs) (laughs) As she dies, he sees fragments of her memories, including her romance with his father. He realizes Saran, or Saran, I... It's probably Saran. Yeah, it's also one letter off from Satan, which is like... (laughs) (laughs) He's evil plastic rap. He realizes Saran will never forgive him unless he ends magic. Chapter 27, Zaley's group prepares for their arena appearance and meet the rest of their crew. Chapter 28, Amari almost backs out, but at the last moment climbs aboard. With horror, she realizes that there are not just 10 ships to fight like the last match, but 30. There's the part where I asked, I, I wrote, I wonder how Mara's doing with the constant misery, but you're right, it it, it does have enough of a... Of, There's enough l- yeah, little lighter l- like lighter moments and like being kind to people. Like when they um, went ahead and bought like the uh, water for the uh, chained up slaves. Yeah. Like just little moments like that kind of kept yeah. me from I also, just screaming. I didn't mention it earlier, but I also I appreciate a lot of the scenes where Zaley and Amari, um, they're, they communicate pretty well with each other in a lot of scenes. And I appreciate that because Ariemi didn't uh, use the classic creating drama by having people misunderstand each other sort of situation. Like she didn't go with the easy yeah, drama for yeah. that. And that's that's one of the one of my least favorite things in books is when it's like just talk to each other. Yeah, Zaley's um, very straightforward. You know, just like you need to step yeah. up and be better because we we can't have you be weak and drag us down. We have too much to do. It's too important. So Mari's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pull my shit together. I gotta do what I need to do. <laughs> she just kind of like smacks her face a little bit. All right, you can do this. You can do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like for my dead friend. Chapter 29, the match starts and Zaley panics because she can't raise the dead, but Zane keeps a cool head and leads the ship until she finds her strength to do so. Chapter 30, Amari freezes up as another ship boards them, and they begin to sink. Chapter 31, Zaley has to resort to blood magic to summon more animations and save the ship, but it overwhelms her and she begins to drown. Um, Unsurprisingly, blood magic is not the best kind of magic to be using. It takes a lot out of you, and it's very corrupts your your powers and stuff in ways that you don't want yeah uh to the point like her mom used it just the once to save the kid from uh zane from uh drowning pull him from death and then she it's an she made zaley promise her don't ever use this (laughs) yeah it's very much a a absolute last ditch effort sort of thing chapter 32 zane rescues zaley the final opponent's attack, and Amari kills the opposing captain when he targets the unconscious Zaley, and they win! Chapter 33, Zaley is given the Sunstone and feels the immense power of the Sky Mother. She has a vision of the Sky Mother, then a vision of her god Oya, 
Finally, she feels like they have a chance at restoring magic, but we're not even halfway through the first book in a trilogy, so I wonder what's going to happen. I think it's around here where I started, where I was like, okay, we're tur- things are turning around for me as a reader, because I was kind of sitting uh-huh. the whole time like, Oh, you're fighting the re- you're killing a lot of innocent people. I'm not cool with that. And then at the end, they're like, "This didn't feel like a victory. A lot of innocent people died." And I was like, "Okay, cool. You guys are decent characters. I like you. I'm right. behind this now." <laughs> Plus, they were they told the people like, "We don't want the gold. We just want that stone. So you could take that gold." And then it ended up doing yeah. a world of good since they're yeah. like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna take it. We're gonna free everybody else who's in stocks with this money." Yeah. And I was just like, "I love everything that's happening right now." When Zaylee is stealing herself for the battle, uh, she says, there's no chance to back out now. We either get the stone or we die trying. And I wrote, just like Fiddy would say. Jesus. <laughs> the way that she talks about the relationship with uh, the gods, I appreciate because in, the gods aren't as abstract as you would see in a lot of stories. They're much more grounded and connected in more direct ways to the Magi. And that's just a that's a, a slight difference from a lot of um, you know mythologically focused stuff that I liked seeing is how how much more intimate that sort of relationship feels. Yeah, they're kind of like uh, patron saints or something. Said the not Catholic. <laughs> yeah, I know not of what I speak. Anyway, go ahead. Chapter thirty four. Zaylee's team celebrates, but Amari is upset at having killed a man. Zane offers her a way out of the mission. Uh, but she declines wanting to be the one to right her father's wrongs. Zane kind of lays it out straight with her. It's like, and he, it's a similar thing to when she's trying to board the boat. It's like, here's the thing. This is a big deal, and we need to know that if you're here, you're here 100% and you're contributing, and you know, we're on a time crunch, and this is very important. If you don't think that you can help, you should just stay back. We're not gonna, we're not gonna hate you or anything, but we, we have to complete this with or without you. And I like what um, she says. She's like, I am a princess, not a prop. Do not treat me any differently. My father is responsible for this pain. I will be the one to fix it. And he's just like, all right. <laughs> Fair it's play. Like, you do you, boo. Uh, chapter 35. Inan arrives in Abedji alone, but Zaylee's group has already left. Chapter 36. Six days before the solstice, Inan catches up to the others. Amari tries to appeal to him by reminding him that they have their own destinies, but he's too entrenched in his father's beliefs and attacks Zaylee. Chapter 37. The battle is cut short by masked men suddenly appearing and capturing Nyla, Amari, and Zane. Chapter 38. They get Zaylee too. Inan stands above her, ready to strike. She's like tied up and it's like this is his chance to finally kill her. But chapter 39, Anon is flooded with Zaylee's memories and sees the horrors his father's regime has done and will continue to do. He cuts Zaylee free and gives in to the idea that perhaps his father is wrong. This is kind of anticlimactic because he was only a bad guy for the first half of the book, but at least it allows for him to have a more complicated character. So well, He's kind of been complicated from the beginning where he's just all like, well, why did that? That didn't have to happen. Why did you set the fire early? It didn't need to go that way. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's more, it's leaning more that, he's, that uh, way for a while. And it wasn't until. No, 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 definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I don't think it like came out of nowhere or anything. I, I, I more mean that it, it'll, switching from like kind of questioning it, but not understanding why he's questioning it to being, to confronting it more directly internally allows for him to have some more interesting revelations and understanding is about himself and his upbringing and stuff like that. So well, I feel like, I feel like Zane's on the same page as you. <laughs> he agrees. Like what? What? <laughs> he does this rapid like face heel turn and yeah. you're just going to buy it. No. <laughs> 
when Anon catches up to them, they're, like, hanging out at, like, a river. And they're, like, messing around. And they try to get Amari into the water. And she backs away. And then she says, I can't swim. (laughs) 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 That was one of the points where it's like, oh, I'm having this playful moment. I'm like, no, please get moving. You're making me nervous. Right? It's like, it's like, on the one hand, you're like, they're not dealing in absolute misery right now. But on the other hand... It's catching up to them with every moment that they wait. She takes out the scroll and puts on the thing for safety before she goes in the water. And I'm like, it can't be destroyed. Just have it on you. What is the matter with you? (laughs) And if she hadn't done that, then none of this would have happened because they wouldn't have been seen with the scroll. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, instinctively, you're just like, oh, there's paper. I should probably get this out of my pocket. Right? Sky? (laughs) (laughs) Batty's going to blow up. (laughs) So, yeah, so Inan's flooded with all of these images, and then uh, when they leave uh, them, it's... When they leave him, it says, with a lurch, I snap back to reality, and I wrote, Mom, spaghetti. Yeah. Oh, it was Chapter 40. Zayn and Amari are gone. Zaylee is left with Inan and one of the masked boys. Zaylee begins to interrogate the masked boy, ready to kill him. Chapter 41. Inan stops Zaylee from going too far. He has decided that he won't be like his father, and that aligning himself with Zaylee is his best chance of both finding his sister and creating a better Arisha. Zaylee concedes to this partnership, and Inan begins interrogating the boy a bit more peacefully. Chapter 42. Amari pleads her case with her captors, the two most prominent being a boy named Kwame and a girl named Zu. Uh, They are diviners, but the fact that they hold the scroll without uh, surprise means that they've already seen it before. They don't buy Amari's story about bringing magic back, uh, and Zu rallies uh, her camp of diviners for a meeting. Chapter 43, the masked boy, uh, whose name is Jalen, which we learned from a conversation with Zu the previous chapter. He brings Zaylee and Anon up to a spot overlooking Zu's camp. Anon suggests they wait until the following night and then head in. In the meantime, Zaylee will work on being able to create enough animations to help them rescue their family. Chapter 44, Zaylee and Anon are at a standstill about what to do. Zaylee can't train fast enough to summon more animations, and she can't use the Sunstone just in case the enemy gets a hold of it, but she also can't risk using blood magic to make herself stronger. However, she refuses to let Anon recruit nearby guards. Anon, meanwhile, won't let his magic out because he thinks that while his father's oppression is wrong, he was still right to take magic away in order to protect Arisha. This sets Zaylee off, and she tells him that the lack of magic and the king's oppression are the exact same thing. Arisha has been built for people like Anon, not people like her, and she has to always live in fear because of it. Uh, and I wrote, and this is the sort of hard-hitting commentary I was looking forward to. Yeah. Whenever they get, like, brutally honest about that, I really enjoy, so. Yeah, I tabbed that part, too. There is a section, uh, 41, when Anon, he's thinking about this new Arisha, and he says, a land where a prince and a magic could coexist, a land where even Zaylee and I could be a we, and I was like, gosh, that's not a heavy-handed suggestion at their relationship at all well he was attracted to her from the start but he just kind of had to recognize that's what it was so i didn't think it was heavy-handed but i did like a wee because i'm an idiot (laughs) (laughs) when when she says that uh she doesn't she doesn't want him to bring the guards in because she doesn't trust him i wrote f the police and then on the next page uh it says uh the guards i know are good and i wrote a g a b (laughs) <laughs> I know when he said that, I was just like, what is, what is this, sir, sir, what is this based on? Like, you only brought like a handful of them and they burned a whole fucking village. Like, 
what are you ba-? and that was your best so <laughs> what are you basing this on you fucking moron so i was well i won't give these one torches okay <laughs> they'll do something else all of them just oh my god they they sucked so much ass like i was just like i think i read this part and i was at work on my lunch break and i like went like <laughs> okay like out loud <laughs> But I do like this line where she uh, she says to him, um, fool yourself all you want, little prince, but don't feign innocence with me. I won't let your father get away with what he's done. I won't let your ignorance silence my pain. So uh, maybe we should have just let Colin Kaepernick kneel during the anthem. Yeah. Chapter 45. Anon realizes he will never understand Zaley's pain. Chapter 46. Amari and Zane are still tied up in the camp. Zoo comes in and magically heals Zane's wounds, revealing herself, and it turns out uh, several others in her group to be magi. Amari tries to explain that they're on the same side, but Zoo will have uh, none of it. She brings Kwame in, then steps out as she prepares the bone dagger for what will probably be a very painful interrogation session. Chapter 47, Zaylu reveals her plan to use the sunstone to power her magic, and Anon admits to her how much he hates his magic and how much it makes him hate himself. Zaley counters that it's his hatred of the magic that is hurting him, not the magic itself. She then takes away the Senate game piece that he's been using as a worry token for years, and reveals that it's actually made of magicite, which is why it's been hurting him, not because it's like stabbing into his hand, but because he's literally holding poison uh, that his father gave him. So he gets rid of the Senate piece and vows to not only help Zaley get into the camp, but to also let her finish her quest. Chapter 48, Zaley and Anon re- approach the camp, and their assault begins. Chapter 49, the attack on the camp interrupts Kwame's interrogation of Amari and Zane. Amari uses this distraction to free both of them, retrieve the bone dagger, and prepare to fight. Chapter 50, Zaley is hit with an arrow, among other things, uh, so the battle really isn't going that great. A burner, the sort of magi that killed King Saran's family, prepares to kill her, but Anon works up his magic and freezes the burner, who, by the way, is Kwame. Uh, freezes him in place. Just then, Zoo comes out and acknowledges that the attackers are one of us! One of us! One of us! And the fighting is over. Did, okay, I didn't picture this while I was or reading it, or maybe I did, but I didn't really connect it. Um, but Zoo's little group here is kind of like like the Hook Lost Boys. Oh, shit. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> so, uh, is Kwame Rufio? Well, I mean, kind of. I mean, it, I guess. I kind of got frustrated with them, because I was just like, Okay, they're giving you a story. They're not deviating from the story. Maybe the story's true. Send out some scouts to find if we can find two other diviners who are wandering around the area, and maybe it's true. Maybe we can hold off on this for a bit, you know? Yeah, plus, like, they have activated powers, meaning they're aware of this whole artifact thing in at least some capacity. So, like, shouldn't that give them some information to kind of add it up and be like, no, that I can buy it. And why is it just the two of them? Why isn't it, like, a whole troop? Like, they were just kind of seeing what they wanted to see, you know? I feel like part of this, they were like, oh, we're just trying to protect our people. I feel like it was kind of revenge for years of, you know, persecution. And um, I think they got let off the hook a little too easily for it. I think they should have been a little bit more, um, bit more leery of them, you know? So that kind of, like, rang false for me. Yeah, and the, the there is kind of an immediate, like, they, they do basically the one of us, one of us chant, and then it's like, we'll do anything for you, and it's kind of, that, that immediate flip is very, 
It, it felt a little awkward. Yeah, to me. that was that was um, the one false note I felt that this hit for me. So I was just kind of like, ah, yeah. no, I don't like that. Mostly because if someone yeah. stabs my brother in the thigh, I'm fucking killing him. So <laughs> it's just like you do anything to my brother, I'm. Gonna- Why'd you do that? He can't even see. <laughs> Oh, he had his eye surgery. He can see now. He's actually but, probably going to get glasses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he can see better, but he won't be seeing but, through a layer of wax paper over his eye anymore. All right, let's keep going because I'd like to finish this. I want my dinner. Chapter 50. Uh, Zalia is hit with an arrow, among other things, and I read yep. that. Chapter 51. <laughs> Zoo heals Zalia and Anon and takes them into the camp, explaining what's going on here. She was the first person to touch the scroll in Wari and wanted a safe place for other diviners. She started a small group, and after sending coded messages across Arisha, it grew rapidly. At this point, Zane and Amari are reunited with Zaylee and Anon. Zoo pledges her group's loyalty in whatever our heroes decide to do. She then suggests celebrating their unity, and Zane offers that they have Ajoyo, which is a festival honoring the Sky Mother and the gods. Zoo notices some tension in the group and leaves them so they can sort it out. Zane then blows up at Zaylee for trusting Inan, even after it's revealed that Inan is a magi and completely disregards Zaylee's argument in favor of Inan and storms off. Chapter 52. While Zaylee follows Zane, Amari and Inan chat. Amari warns Inan that if he hasn't actually had a change of heart, she won't hesitate to fight him to protect Zaylee's quest. As a gesture of goodwill, Inan returns the headdress that Amari sold earlier. Chapter 53, Zoo shows Zaylee around to where different parts of the Ajoyo will take place. As she does, a handsome boy from outside Orisha bumps into Zaylee. He introduces himself as Rowan and reveals that he pickpocketed her staff. He returns it to her and goes to a meeting with Kwame. Zaylee notices Inan is, is suppressing his magic still and offers to help him control it so that he doesn't need to fear for the people around him. She teaches him how to ask his god Ori for help. And eventually he is granted assistance, and they enter the dreamscape. Which, I don't remember if I clearly explained this. The dreamscape is this place that he, like, when he... Specifically, for the most part, when he talks to with Zaylee in with his connector magic, it's it's this kind of, like... Uh, spirit realm kind of thing? Yeah, it's a, it's it's this natural spirit realm where they, uh, where they interact yeah. and stuff. Chapter 54, Flirtations and Musings in the Dreamscape. Chapter 55... More of Zaylee wondering if Anon is actually good, and then some more flirting between her and Anon. Zane snaps them out of their reverie and attacks Zaylee for falling for Anon's supposed change of heart. He keeps pushing her buttons and evokes, invokes the memory of their mother, which is a bridge too far. Zaylee strikes out at him with a sort of magical shadow whip, and he rushes off, feeling betrayed. Well, I mean, he called her a whore. You're the princess whore. Yeah, and it's I, like, I, we haven't even <laughs> kissed yet. Could you maybe take it down a couple fucking notches, bro? Like... Jesus, yeah. I was just like, Zane, no, yeah, settle down. I was, I was, yeah, I was like, wow, dude. Like, like you can be concerned? The, I think it's weird to call your sister a whore anyway. Right. I mean, my brother never has. I had, like, weird neighbors where, like, <laughs> there were two grown-up siblings who were at their mother's apartment for some reason, and they got into this uh-huh. screaming match, and the guy just kept yelling, whore, at his sister over and over, and I'm just like, that's such a weird thing to say. And plus the dog barked through the whole fight, and their mom kept going, stop! So I just stood in my living room and listened to it. <laughs> and then she's all like, why don't you get a job, Justin? And he goes, why don't you get a job? And then she goes, I don't know. <laughs> so 
Sean's like, I feel like you shouldn't lob that insult out unless you have something to back it up, because I can't believe you didn't think he'd go there next. <laughs> anyway, that had nothing to do with anything. I just suddenly thought of it. Siblings calling each other whore. Yeah, I wrote I wrote at the end of that chapter. He deserved it. He really did. Yeah, I was like, I don't know, I'm on her side. You're kind of being a douche right now. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, I play a lot of games made by uh, Telltale, and they're basically like kind of choose-your-own-adventure sorts of games, really light on gameplay, really heavy on story. And uh, there's a character in The Walking Dead once uh, named Kenny, who is like, at first you like him because he is like a family man and he's really close to you, but then he st- at, he lets his frustrations and stuff completely cloud any sense of judgment and starts to like wear away at any like positive traits that he once had. And I'm not saying that Zane goes this far, but it reminds me of that because you get to a point where this guy that you were like rooting for, you're at the point where you're like, yeah, I hope he gets punished. The guy's being a <laughs> moron and he won't shut up. Yeah, you, you uh, turn to Tyra Banks. We are rooting for you. We are all rooting for you. All rooting for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Chapter 56. Amari helps Zaley prepare for the Ajoyo. As she does, she both cautions Zaley about Anon and thanks her for hopefully steering him towards good for once. Zane steps in briefly and remarks that Zaley looks like their mother. Amari asks Zaley why she's hesitant to let the other diviners touch the scroll and gain magic, and she explains that it could bring harm to many innocent people, especially if magic got into the wrong hands. To ease her fears, Amari takes Zaley outside where the festival is in full swing. She shows how happy everyone is connecting to the Sky Mother and encourages her not to deny them their magic. Chapter 57 Zane and Amari flirt and dance. Chapter 58. <laughs> Zaley and Anon flirt and dance, but with added misery. Chapter 59. Anon tells Zaley that they should combine the strengths of the rearwaked and Magi with his royal powers to create a unified Orisha that his father will have no choice but to accept. Uh. She says if they can convince Zane and Amari to agree, she'll return to the royal city of Lagos with him and enact his plan. Then they make out. Chapter 60. Zane sees them and leaves the valley. Amari follows and tries to convince him to stop, but Zane is tired of bending over backwards for Zaley just to watch her throw everything away. As he tries to continue leaving, King Saran's men approach from the darkness. I would say that this whole segment in the Diviner camp, with the exception of actually like being celebratory of their relationship with the gods and stuff, I appreciate that imagery, but I would say this section as a whole is one of the weaker sections. I feel like it does fall a little bit too much into the more petty elements of the drama and stuff. Well, I kind of just feel like, because I was sitting there like, no, let's not dick around. You need to move. Like, you're getting yeah, so many... Yeah, it's like, why are there's we... There's so much unforeseen stuff. Why are we stuff. having a party? We have three days. There's so many <laughs> obstacles. There's so much unforeseen stuff that keeps popping up. I think you need to keep going and still have that cushion of days in case the unexpected happens. So why would you tempt fate by fucking around with this party? So especially especially right. since you're not going to give the people the powers anyway, like after all. It's like the, the prophecy didn't say that you have to arrive the moment the solstice happens. It just says you have to be there on the solstice. Let's get there early. Yeah. Save your yes. seat. Honestly, you know what? They're probably just tired out. That's realistic. We're just like, you know what? Let's, okay, let's chill for a day and have some fun and just be young people for once instead of having this burden on our shoulders. So I can understand why that, that choice was made and it would probably like make more sense in real life. But like in the 
the context of a book, you're kind of like, no, guys, get moving. I, I would agree with that a bit stronger if it happened a little bit further out from the deadline. I feel like once you get to the literal 72-hour mark, I feel like all of them would still be like, let's just push through, because, like, I don't know. Or maybe, like... Three days is not a lot of time. Or, like, maybe just hang out for, like, half the day and have, have it, like, an afternoon party and then, like, bye and, like, go. You yeah. know? It didn't yeah. need to be at night. Especially yeah. since this fucking party is what made the soldiers catch them. Because no one sold anybody out because at first we're all like, oh, jeez, what did Anand do? <laughs> like, he had to have done something, right? But, no, it was just all these people showed up and was like, oh, we're buying all this crap for this thing. And soldiers were like, what's going on? And then followed them. What's this about a kegger? They're like, what do you have to celebrate? <laughs> so, yeah, they got suspicious. Shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry, you need how much confetti and how many party poppers? A million. <laughs> <laughs> What are you thinking about? Pizza. What? <laughs> Pizza. Chapter 61. Zaley and Anand's intimate evening is cut short by the guards' arrival. Zeus steps up to them and announces the Diviners will gladly submit to a peaceful search for the scroll, but she is shot through with an arrow. At this point, a battle breaks out. Kwame uses blood magic to amplify flames, killing himself to fight the guards. Zane and Amari return, but the guards notice Zaley, and she feels herself being taken away. Chapter 62. Amari and Zane survey the carnage and notice Anon and Zaley aren't among the dead. Zane has a nervous breakdown, but Amari decides they shall go to the guard outpost near the town of Gombe, where she thinks they've taken Zaley. Which, by the way, in my head, I say it the same way that you would say donkey from... Yeah. Gombe! <laughs> That's probably how you say it. It sounds right. That's how my brain yeah. was doing it. Instead of Gombe. Gombe. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, we, we gonna be, we a, gonna little be late. a little late. We have a party. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 63. Zaley wakes up in a cell cuffed with magicite chains. Anon comes in, dressed properly to fool the guards, but once they're alone, he acts like his new old self. <laughs> he explains that the guards followed some diviners to the festival when they went to town for supplies and asks Zaley how to destroy the scroll, figuring doing so will protect her from his father's wrath. He seems to believe that after the damage Kwame caused, magic is too dangerous, and they need to find a new way to save Arisha. Before Zaley can knock some sense into Anon, King Saran himself enters. He asks if Zaley was the one who killed Kea, and she considers ratting out Anon. Instead, she tells him that the Diviners are going to keep fighting back, and that he won't get any of the artifacts to stop them. The King pulls a John Cena and is all, Are you sure about that? Oh. Chapter 64 King Saran has a physician inject Zaley with a serum that forces her to remain conscious uh, as the king carves maggot into her back. Inan tries to stop him, but is taken away. He goes into the dreamscape and pulls Zaley in as well, but she is incomplete. She feels like an empty shell of herself. This reminds me of the scene in Deathly Hallows Part 1 when Bellatrix is carving mudblood into uh, Hermione's arm, uh, which is not in the book, but I think that's a really good addition to the films because it makes me super super upset every time i watch it um effective not pleasant but effective sorry i know you're laughing about the ruin it but that whole scene with like soldiers first coming in like we just want the girl and zoo going being like okay you know we're just having this celebration to celebrate our god we don't know what you're talking about but you are free to search the place and then they shoot an arrow through her it reminded me of that black social worker who's uh with his autistic client lying down in the street with his arms up and the sh- cops still shot him anyway. There's no yeah. right way to be. They will pick any reason to attack. The- so it was interesting, you know, not interesting, but like a non later being all like, well, yeah, now they're upset because Kwame yeah. set himself on fire, k- killed everything. And like they attacked way before that, sir, sir. 
you're justifying it after the fact. Like, this yeah. could have gone way differently. Stop it. You know? Yeah, but didn't you see the full context of the video? No, no, no. There's not a context that justifies that. No, uh-uh. Chapter 65. In Gombe, Zane seeks out a secret diviner bar where he meets up with some of the Agbon players he knows. Um, Agbon being a, like a sport that he plays and is actually pretty good at, and they do like little tours and stuff through some of the other locations. Um, and this group that he meets is led by a man named Kenyon. He explains the sitch about the solstice and Zaley being trapped. Amari tells everyone uh, who she is and shows them the scroll. She offers to give everyone their magic if they help spring Zaley from jail. Chapter 66, Saran speaks with Inan, and Inan finally sees his father's blind hatred for what it is. Saran believes Zaley responsible for Kaya's death and plans to have her destroy the scroll with magic, at which point he will have her killed. Inan tries to get the king to stop the Diviner Rebellion peacefully by improving their circumstances, but the king says his father tried that and was killed by Magi. He then proclaims that everything Inan has been through recently will make him a great king. Chapter 67. Inan breaks Zaley out of her cell. She is very weak and hurt. He carries her away, and then someone breaks through the fortress wall. Chapter 68. It's Amari's group of Diviners! Some of them have awakened their magic, and between that and some firebombs, the group storms the fortress. Amari and her father lock eyes, and she has the urge to fight him, but now isn't the time. The top priority is saving Zaley. Chapter 69. <laughs> Sorry. I I wrote nice in my notes, so. <laughs> Amari and Zane find Anon and Zaley. Anon gives Zaley to them and tells them to leave. He's going to stay behind. Since his father doesn't know the truth, Anon will be safe and can work to save Arisha from the inside. Little do they know that his plans for a safer Arisha don't involve. Magic. I thought of um, Mori Povich. That was proven to be a lie. Chapter 70. Anon meets Zaley in the dreamscape, where Zaley tries to pretend like she's alright, when in reality she's broken and can't feel her magic anymore. The only thing that will make her feel better right now? Mind sex. Can't get Chapter pregnant 71. for that. <laughs> I'm pointing at my forehead, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 71. Zaley wakes up in a tent, her wounds healed, but her scars still present. Her magic is gone, and she doesn't know how to get it back. Zane comes in, and they reconcile, and Zaley meets the new magi Zane and Amari recruited. The solstice is tomorrow, and the only way they can make it to the Holy Temple in time is to go through Jemeda, a city that is dangerous for some reason we haven't learned yet. Zane and Amari initially suggest they give up and leave Arisha, but Zaley won't have that, and they decide to go. Chapter 72, and suddenly they're in Jemeda, a city filled with mercenaries and criminals, but no guards. The group reaches a cave where a mercenary with a boat and crew await, and Zaley goes in alone to recruit them. The leader of this group turns out to be Rowan, the pickpocket from the Diviner camp. After flipping a would-be assailant over her shoulder, Zaley earns enough respect for a conversation. She tells the group that if they help her, they will earn the gods' favor and be employed by the future queen of Orisha. This works, and they set sail immediately. I really wish that we had gotten to see more of this city because like i said i think the world building is one of the uh strongest elements of this story and i i would have liked to explore this law lawless city of mercenaries and what it's how it compares to the very we can't do everything regimented. in one book they're on a time crunch i know no i There's i, a I, sequel. I like, maybe they go don't worry. No, but that that was that was the thing is like I'm like I wish that would happen and then I was like we're already over 500 pages. Either 
this book would have had to be massive and and it would have been unwieldy in terms of its pacing, or they would have had to cut something out. And I'm not entirely sure what would have made sense. To I was picturing out. Tortuga from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, honestly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm not I'm not saying that it needs to have a big chunk in there in addition to what's. But I was intrigued, like no guards, okay. That is, a, that is a that is a an element that's like there's there's potential there yeah, yeah. so chapter uh seventy three the group boards their own ship and heads toward the island as they do they notice several royal ships and decide it would be a good idea to take one somehow a small band of Rowan's mercenaries gain control over a ship crewed by dozens of guards in less than seven minutes without killing any of them it would have been five if they could have killed people <laughs> us as readers are kind of down in their little boat and Rowan's like. Give me a few. And then it's just, you hear all the sounds of the fighting, and then he's like, okay, it's good, and then you climb up and see the aftermath of the fight. It's like one of those scenes where you just kind of hear the comic fight up above, and then you hear, like, the Wilhelm scream of somebody, like, going off the side, and then you climb up and everything's done, and they're like, huh, that was easy. Well, Zane says what Um, you're thinking, like, there's no way he can pause, and then it's done. (laughs) And you're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) I, yeah, I liked, I liked Rowan and his crew, honestly. Their introduction and this part of it made me go, Eh, this is three point five. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely this is definitely a section that brings in elements that I think have uh, room to grow. And if those are expanded in the other books, that's God. I hope that would so. Be definitely yeah. something that I would be. I'm with you. I want to go back to. I want to go back to the mercenary town. Yeah, they'll probably need a place to lie low. That's a good place if there's no guards. Chapter seventy four. On a different warship, King Saran has a heart to heart with Anon, explaining the challenge of being a leader is that you must put duty above your own personal eh. desires. He made the mistake of not doing so once, and it resulted in the death of his first wife, setting him on the path of exterminating Magi to save Arisha. He gifts Anon his Magicite blade to remember the sacrifices Anon must someday make as king. Anon tells him he knows how to reclaim the scroll. I feel like there's more to the king's story, and I don't completely buy it. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm intrigued. I'd like. I was like, I don't believe you. I want to know more. Chapter seventy-five. Zalia is doing some more ruminating, and Rowan comes by. He asks about her scars and shows her ones he obtained in his homeland of Sutori. Which, um, it's like up until like these couple of chapters when they talk about leaving Orisha and stuff. It, I didn't think much about the fact that this is just one land, and I have no idea what the cultures of the other lands are like. It's like acknowledging that there's more going on. I don't know, that's a lot to tackle in two other books, and I've I've seen the second one on the shelf, and I know it's significantly smaller than this, so, like, I don't, you know, there's a lot going on here, and I don't know if it'd be, like, too much for her to expand on everything, but there are definitely multiple directions that she can go that she set herself up Yeah, for. yeah. Uh, let's see here. He knows her pain, but wants to make sure she's working towards more than just revenge. He then suggests that the gods may have chosen him for this quest, since of all the gin joints and all that. <laughs> right. He saunches off, pleased to have completed this story's requisite love triangle, and Zaylee goes to Amari's room to tell her the truth about her missing magic. Now, it's a love triangle very late in the story, so it's not, like, it's not handled the same way it would be in other teen stuff, but I was just, I was, like, I was not surprised that there is a love interest that has, like, a different philosophy going on, and then that's kind of the, I don't know how much it plays into it, but I was just like, oh, right, that's usually somewhere in I don't know, I kind of find, um, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, it's like, a cliche and like kind of expected but at, at the same time i was kind of like i don't know i kind of like this guy let's give this guy a fighting chance like anon's dark and interesting and like all that and i was like oh this is it you know it, it wasn't boring yeah. the way amari and zane are so <laughs> yeah. chapter 76 amari braids zaley's hair and tells her how strong she is and how even if she doesn't have her magic right now they'll figure something out and then they go to get bed together and there's not even a sexy pillow fight 
<laughs> I like I like this scene. No, to be honest, to be honest, I really like their relationship as is. I like that you can have two female characters that are actually supportive of each other and complete human beings. And what she says about her dad to him, <laughs> I just want to say this really quick, that, that no matter what he did, no matter what you see, believe me when I tell you it's not forever. If you broke me free, you will find a way to save yourself. And I was just like, Amari's so nice. She's come such a long way. I love her. Chapter 77, today's the day. Woo-hoo. Chapter 78, Zaley's group dressed as guards walk through the royal army and up to the palace... So they arrive at the temple, and it's a massive, beautiful structure uh, with jewels that uh, represent all ten of the gods. And they descend into a chamber with statues to the gods and are preparing to complete the ritual. But suddenly they're ambushed by guards, uh, as well as King Saran, Inan, and Baba? Chapter 79. Saran offers a trade. Baba for the artifacts. Despite everything that her followers have done for her, Zaylee gives in. She presents Inan with the sunstone and the scroll but keeps the bone dagger instead giving him an old knife. Since Anon never saw the bone dagger, he won't know the difference. She takes Baba and has like two seconds to cry with him before he's skewered with an arrow. Chapter 80. Baba's blood and spirit provide the catalyst Zaylee needed to reclaim her magic, and she wields it in absolute rage. Chapter 81. Although it pains him to do it, Anon taunts Zaylee so that she will attack him with her magic, and when she does, he shields himself with a scroll, forcing her to destroy it and cause the end of magic for good. Saran approaches Anon, beaming with pride, but Anon notices one of the mercenaries charging up behind the king. Anon uses his magic to take out the mercenary, and the king stops cold. He sees the spirit crystals that form around the mercenary and recognizes them as the same ones that were taken from Kaya's corpse. Now knowing who killed her, Saran stabs Anon and proclaims him to be no son of his. Chapter 82. Amari sees Saran strike Anon down and moves in to fight her father. Chapter 83. Amari kills Saran, and it's pretty sick to be honest. Like... She's pretty B.A. in that scene. Yeah, yeah. Like, I will make a far better queen. And I'm just like, yeah. yes, queen! <laughs> uh, yeah, I have that. Do not worry, I whisper as he takes his last breath. I will make a far better queen. And I'm like, that is ice cold. But and then I she drops it. the mic. The, the mic being her father's corpse. <laughs> his name was Saran, not Mike. <laughs> Chapter 84, we're almost at the end here. Zaylee realizes that she has destroyed the scroll, and for a moment everything seems lost. Oh, (laughs) no! Yeah. Then she realizes that if Baba's blood connected her to magic, maybe she can make a new connection to the Sky Mother by channeling her heritage. Uh, So she performs the ritual and asks nicely, and a new incantation comes to her. This is kind of this kind of parallels when she like first gains her magic and all she really knows how to do is ask her god for help. It's kind of a similar thing and they they basically channel through her a new incantation that she doesn't quite know what it means, but she knows that it's this is what she asked for. I, oh shit, I just made a connection. Uh, that yeah. um part uh when they first show up in Chindomblay and the super priest is telling them all the origin stories and stuff. And he said her particular goddess uh, was it Oya. Everyone else took their gift. She asked for hers. So Zaylee here is asking. And that's why she's receiving. Because before all she was doing was trying to take. Just yeah. put that out there. It, um, I just, it just clicked. And I'm like. Yeah, no, oh. I actually, I marked that. And I, I was hoping that I could find it really quick to get the exact. But yeah, when they're, they're telling the story and it's, it is that her god it's a different relationship to, with the power um, and how it originated. So yeah, you're right. Huh. 
let's see. Uh, the new incantation comes to her. She completes the new ritual and realizes that magic connects everyone, not just magi, and that we are all children of blood and bone and its sequel, Children of Vengeance and Virtue. Out, uh, then out she now. dies. <laughs> yeah, out now everywhere. <laughs> uh, then she dies. Kind of. Chapter 85. Zaylee speaks with her mother, who is very proud of her. She tells her that Baba is with her now and is at peace. Zaylee says they need to go back and get Zane up there, too, so that they can all be reunited. But it's not his time to die, and it's not really hers, either. In fact, her work is just getting started. And then the epilogue. Zaylee awakes and sees all her friends and allies are safe. She asks if the ritual worked. In response, Amari demonstrates that she now has magic as well. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I need to find out what happens with that. What? <laughs> so, yeah. Amari opening her hand in, like, the blue light. And I was just like, okay, four stars, and I'm reading the next one. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> If it had ended any other way, I thought it probably would have been like, ah, it was good. I liked it. Okay. Yeah, that's the children of blood and bone. Uh, you should read it. Yeah. You should read it. It's stressful, but I promise it pays off. I mean, you should at least give it a shot. If you if if your mental health cannot take it, that's totally fair. fair, especially now. <laughs> um, but it is. I think it's definitely worth picking up, and and even even if you don't get if you can't get all the way through, even at the start, there's it. You know, it has some cool world building stuff. It has um, some fun character stuff. And it, it has some things to say that, to be honest, have been relevant for much longer than the general public wants to yeah. admit. Um, but a lot of the things that she's talking about are things that people have been struggling with for decades and centuries. And it's, you know, it's high time that people are more aware of it. So, yeah. So for next month, we already have it picked out. It's a little bit different from what we normally uh, do. Considering uh, it's, it's September, back to school, we're reading our first nonfiction book to be all educational edum- up in this bish. And it's going to be uh, called yeah. Paperback Crush by Gabrielle Moss. And it's the yeah. totally radical history of 80s and 90s teen fiction. And I'm stoked to read this. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting because it's not really written for the kids but it's about the books that are written yeah. for the kids um and so that's interesting it's also going to be interesting because there are there is probably going to be some really interesting generational differences between the stuff that you remember oh, reading yeah. in that and the stuff i remember yeah reading. i came up i came um, up and there was no harry potter you came up and that was the big thing yeah it, it right right as i was getting to the point of like being able to read my own books it's just like boom harry potter the the face of you know, kids publishing kids literature yeah. just change changes it overnight. Everything, um, holy crap! Yeah. Um. So we're gonna be taking a look at that. Uh. The other interesting thing is that uh, Mara has a an advanced reader's copy, and then I have the finished published copy. Uh. Hopefully, it doesn't affect things too much. Uh. But there may be some differences. Yeah, we'll uh, see. We'll see what happens. And I I'm not sure how we're gonna tackle it. If it's gonna follow our same sort of format, or if it's gonna be a bit different just because it's not a it's obviously linear in a lot of ways because it's talking about a history but it's not a story in the same way so uh, i don't know how we're gonna approach it it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of experimental yeah, um i'm the synopsis it, so. for this book i feel like it's probably gonna be more discussion in nature so yeah. uh we'll see um a lot of the books covered in here are books that i did read so uh that i think it's gonna be super fun i'm i'm not overwhelmed by the by the challenge yeah it, it's definitely it's it's a similar topic to other things that like i have i have a book on the uh history of marvel comics and just like the 
how publishing trends um, come to be and how they change and stuff is just inherently interesting to me. So I'm definitely interested in checking out this segment of it. So we're going to be back uh, in September with that. Uh-huh. And uh, we hope that you have fun with that. All right. So Hello Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com if you'd like to contact us. HFK podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at HFK podcast. And fellow kid Mara on Instagram. Yes. Fellow kid Mara at Instagram is for Mara. Mine, don't worry about it. I'm just using it to enter giveaways for free Pokemon cards. <laughs> <and stuff>. um. <laughs> yeah. Mine, mine will probably uh, have more pictures of like books and stuff eventually. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just setting it up. I've, I finally joined the world of having smartphones so now i can access the things everyone's had for the last like 10 years real real talk though this is revolutionizing how we produce the podcast (laughs) because usually we would have to email and i would be like okay so i'm gonna send this email and mara's probably gonna respond at about 11 30 at night but now i can send something and get a response within an hour so that's really interesting yeah it's pretty great (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next month Bye. bye